Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God. you got to make this personal, okay? Have mercy upon me, O God. Not bless their little heart or mercy on them, but mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. It sounds like somebody who's done been in a mess. It sounds like somebody who's gotten, done gotten in trouble. It sounds like somebody who, 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 got, who, who touched something they shouldn't have touched, and there's something they haven't been able to wash off themselves. There's something they haven't been able to forget themselves. There's something going on in this someone's life that seems to be like he's in trouble. It's David. It's King David. It's somebody who had been worshiping God for years. It's somebody who had taken giants down. It's somebody who had taken bears down, taken uh, armies down, had taken lions down. It's somebody that, that uh, had found the way to God. It's somebody who knew how to host the presence of God and bring the presence of God back to the people of God. I mean, this is a champion of champions. This is a victor of victories. This is somebody who is a leader, somebody who is, who is stout in their faith, somebody who is well-written, somebody who is well-sung, somebody who is well-respected and well-understood. This is somebody who had been in trouble. I don't have time to take you to the story in 1st, 2nd Samuel chapter 11. I read it over again this morning and journeying through there. And I thought, man, this guy's in a bigger mess than I thought he was. He, he was, I don't know that there's anything else somehow, somewhere that he could have gotten into. He was in a mess. Matter of fact, first thing it was, he stopped loving the people he was with because he didn't go to battle. And I think when we stop fighting for one another, we've lost our heart for each other. Now listen to me. When we start fighting against one another, it's a pretty good sign we probably never were fighting for one another. Maybe for ourselves, but not for one another. We've got to learn how to love one another. And not fight against, but fight for one another. Amen. David didn't go to battle. It became idle. He's up on the king's rooftop. He's elevated. He had forgotten what he had learned from the man who went before him, who made himself big in his own eyes by making God small in his eyes. He got to an elevated place and thought, I don't have to go to battle. I don't have to go to war. And he's just looking around at probably everything that was his. He's obviously looking down on people because he's elevated and he looked out and saw a woman bathing herself. And she was beautiful. Now he's engaged into lust, entertained lust, immorality. Jesus, David had already learned about Jesus. He prophesied about him. He knew about the Holy Spirit. He could be under the same understanding we were uh, that, that committing adultery is lusting after a person in your own heart. Yet he didn't stop there, so he had lost control of his heart. He had lost the reins of his life. He had, he, he's really in a mess and it's going further and further. He calls for her, sends somebody. He now implicates somebody else into the situation of robbery, if you would. And he sends somebody down to get her, and Bathsheba comes up and, and, and finds out that her husband's at war, and he has a moral an immoral relationship with her. And she gets impregnated. She sends word back to him, I'm pregnant. He slows everything down for a little while and he, he contemplates this as meditated sin. Meditated sin. Here's somebody who's been used for God in a righteous way, now is becoming unrighteous. And he turns around and he contemplates and he sends for her husband, brings him back and, and tries to deceive him. He's working now under the influence of the devil. He's now like the serpent in the garden. And he sends him down to deceive, and, 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 and Uriah would have nothing to do with it. Matter of fact, he didn't even go to his wife's house. He laid on the doorstep of his king. Submitted, committed, devoted, dedicated. David finds out, and he takes it to another level. And he brings a man into his house. Now he's the house of deception. Now he's a house of implication. 
This is no longer just something that's going on out there. It's now in his house. And he gets the man drunk. Literally is now going into reveling and drunkenness. And he's, he's hosting this. But I want to say this to those of us who think we don't have power to say no. Even while drunk. Even while drunk. Uriah goes out and lays on the king's doorstep and says no due to loyalty. Here is someone who is abusing his royalty by abusing the loyal. He stops everything again, thinks it through, says, I know what I'll do now. I'll implement the whole army the whole military, and other leaders into my ploy. He's employing people. He's employing people to do evil, to do wickedness. He said, take this guy and get in a really harsh battle, and other people died there. We always only think about Uriah and him dying in the battlefield, but it said other people's lives were taken. Friends, when you continue to press further and further, you have the possibility of taking other people's lives, damaging other people's families, destroying other people's destinies. Somewhere it's got to stop. Somewhere it has to stop, but if it doesn't, comes back and they gave the report. But he'd also told Joab, he said, he said, listen, just let me know that he died. And Joab fabricated the report. And he said, if he asked why we did this, he said, tell him also that Uriah died. He put a prophet in a very difficult situation. He's dishonored one who anointed him. By the one who sent him. When you dishonor God, you're dishonoring the people of God. And then he carries out and and Nathan has to come and tell him something very difficult. And actually, Nathan put his life on the line. Think about that. You're going to give a report to a king who has already killed somebody and other people have died through the implications of it. And now you're going to give him a word. Nathan must have really loved David. Nathan definitely really loved God. Let me say something to you prophets and to you prophetic personalities. Love God with everything and love others like you'd love yourself. Let me say something to you relationships and friendships. Don't hold back speaking the truth to one another in love. Because only the love will set somebody free. And only the truth will fulfill that freedom. So, long story short, you see David's life. You see where he's at. She had the baby. The story carries out. The baby gets an illness. baby dies. We're talking about somebody who was in a mess. This Psalm 51 is written by King David after he had had this involvement with Bathsheba. So let's listen to it again. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin." I'm not going to spend this morning as much dealing with the sinner because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think we know that in common. I think we have that in common. I think we understand uh, that there's parts of our life that are blemished, spotted, stained, affected. Uh, There's things in our minds that we just can't let go of. But the scripture is trying to tell us inspired by the Holy Spirit through David and David through the Holy Spirit, hey, there's a possibility. 
We can ask God this kind of stuff. We can approach God with these kind of things. Let's go to verse 10. This is where it gets very familiar. The story of David is familiar enough. But I know I've had to use this scripture before, and I'm thankful for it. In verse 10, it says, create in me. David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and listen to this, and uphold me by your generous spirit. I was stopped in my tracks recently, reading and going over the account of this passage of Scripture, and I thought, your generous spirit. You know, predominantly, we think about generosity financially, and it has its place, and rightly so. And we may even get into that a little bit later, but as I said, I love this holiday season or this season of the year. The trees are giving more color than they gave before. The wind is giving more refreshing than it did before. There's so much, but this is Thanksgiving. I really don't think that we should pass up Thanksgiving and start celebrating Christmas as much as we are celebrating Christmas with the joy of what we're going to get and what has been given to us. This is our time to do nothing but give. This is nothing about receiving. This is everything about giving. This should be the most, and it is, the most generous season of the year. It's the most generous And it links right into Christmas. It's amazing to me that the gateway to Christmas is Thanksgiving. It opens up the holiday season. And I think where we need to be generous is in our giving. And I'm not talking financial right now. I'm talking about if God is a generous spirit, that we ought to be spiritually generous. I believe the world would be in a lot better shape if the church was a little bit more generous with their gifts of the spirit, a little bit more generous with their kindness, a little bit more generous with their compassion, a little bit more generous in spirit, not just in finances. It's a create in me. That word create is the very same word that you find in Genesis. God created the heavens and the earth. I'm here to tell you that if God can create the heavens and the earth, I think he can do something with our itty-bitty little heart. Amen? I mean, if you put it into, into perspective and you measure your heart compared to this universe, and he can do that, and listen, not only can he do that, He can hold it together. He can keep it supported. He can keep it from falling and crumbling. He can sustain you. He has 6,000 some years in this business, and he hasn't failed yet. It's a pretty good warranty and a greater guarantee. Amen? He said, created me a clean heart, oh God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Perhaps today you're tired of a wishy-washy, unsettled spirit. Easily, quickly, angered, fearful, insecure, fear of man, whatever it may be. And your spirit just never seems to be settled, steadfast, fastened, immovable there. I believe that the generous God of heaven is saying, church... My children, my bride, I want to calm your spirit. I want you to be steadfast, no longer tossed to and fro, no longer tumbled and rumbled, no longer unsettled. I want to settle you and establish you. I even made a reference this morning. What he establishes is so that what he can perform. And there's some things that our hearts have not settled with that God is for us and not against us. He said, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. So obviously with a, present, with a, with a, a generous God, his presence is, is involved. His presence is part of the atmosphere in which you experience. You notice people are more generous during Christmas time. Why? Because we create an atmosphere. I know somebody's saying, that's why we're doing it early, honey. We're creating an atmosphere. I get it. I love it. I think that's good. But listen to me. We literally 
need to learn how to dwell and how to host and how to engage in the presence of God. We'll get to that in just a second. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Friends, I'm, I'm reading to you from the Word of God that is inspired by the Spirit of God. I am not going to wrestle and argue with you whether God can take his Spirit from you or not, but I don't ever want to have to say Ichabod over this house. I don't ever want the glory of God to depart from here. I don't want him to lift. I don't want him to divorce himself from this church whatsoever. I'm not here to even as much be concerned that he's going to try to fear you that he would. But if Dave would say don't, I think we ought to feel that way. I think we ought to be cautious and much more mindful and considerate of the importance of the spirit of the living God in our life. I think that if we live that way, we might be more cautious to not grieve the Holy Spirit. We might be more cautious to not take him places that he doesn't want to go. We might be more cautious not to listen to, not to sing along with, not to read about things that he has no interest in whatsoever. He does not want you to be a partaker of unfruitful works of darkness. But yet we drag him. He is not meant to be drugged. He is meant to lead. He is meant to have the lead of each one of our lives. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this that will change your life drastically. And massively would change your life if you will somehow, some way, just say, lead me, Holy Spirit. Lead me in this conversation. Lead me in this decision. Lead me in this path that is, lead me in my career. Lead me in the development of my life. Lead me in the parenting of my children. Lead me, Holy Spirit. He will lead you and guide you into nothing but truth. And it's the truth He said, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy. I just want to point something out before we get a little further into this. Notice whose salvation it is. It's not your salvation. When you say, I got saved, you say, I went and got salvation. No, you're saying, he got me. If we can put it back into proper perspective... And the rightful understanding, it is his salvation that he gave us. So I think that every church, every believer ought to live it the way he said it was, not just the way somebody else said it could be. But we need to be thankful for that. Matter of fact, an unjoyful Christian is a Christian that forgot what he's done for them. Or has not taken into consideration what he's doing. It's his salvation. We ought to always be grateful and thankful for the salvation of God. The multitude of his tender mercy. Back out of verse 1. I want to talk to you about the upholding you by his generous spirit. God's generosity to uphold you, to keep you, to protect you, to not let you fall apart or dismantle, or crumble, or separate, or sever. Think about that in any area of your life. I'm not trying to take you to wounded or hurt. I'm not trying to take you to a place that you feel condemned or lesser than. But is there the possibility that God was vacant in that part of your life? Where things crumbled, and things fell apart, and things uh, dis dismembered, and things disjointed, and things just, just severed? Well, you remember that feeling. You remember that pain. You remember that grief. You remember that hardship. I'm here to tell you, I'm going to introduce you to the generous God who can uphold you, maintain you, preserve you. He can, he can, he can keep it together in God. The multitude of his tender mercies. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And in place comes grace, which gives you what you didn't deserve. I cannot indifferentiate between grace and mercy. I, I don't know how to. It's like the egg and the chicken. I, I just, I can't tell you. I cannot tell you. 
but I'm sensing that mercy might be a little, little bit ahead of grace. I don't know. But then again, his mercy came from his grace. It's him. It's his generous spirit. When, when you come to the spirit, there is no line. You cannot see the lines of God when it comes to the spirit of God. He's eternal. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's, he's, he's omniscient. He knows everything. There wasn't like, oh I, I, oh, I didn't, let me learn about that. He already knows it. There's no line with him. So his mercy that is new every morning is his grace to you. He has graciously given you mercy. And mercy is that you did not get what you deserved, a sinner's death. But he does give you what you didn't deserve, his favor, his goodness, his charisma, his pick-me-up. I mean, that, that ought to be the, the ultimate coffee, God's grace. It just puts something in you. Coffee drinkers understand what I'm talking about. In Lamentations 3, 22 through 23, you don't have to turn there. But his nurse mercies are new every morning. And not only that, great is his faithfulness. Though the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions, they fail not. They are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. He starts talking about him, now he starts talking to him. When you start talking about God and his goodness, you start to realize that God has been good to you. Let's do the math. I don't have, there's a lot of different views of actually exactly how old the earth is. But I will say this to you. Don't get upset with the people. Tell them when they say it's 4 billion or 6 billion years old, go, thank you. And they'll say, for what? Did I, did I convince you as a Christian that it's older scientifically? No, no, no. Thank you that you recognize that my God is an eternal God. And when he made this earth, he made it out of eternity. And you can dig as deep as you want into it. And you'll find out it's marked with eternity. It's just like when he made Adam and Eve. He didn't make them boys and girls. He made them men and women. They were fully made. When he made this earth, he spoke it out of eternity. How could you measure eternity? You can't. So let's do the math. Let's just say, according to our Christian faith, 6,221 years, and we have scripture to adhere to that. 4,000 years in the Old Testament, we have 2,021 uh, 2, years, right? Do the math. To say every day, 365 equals 2,270,665 times he was merciful. Oh, no, no, no. You need to understand. You need to understand. I don't have time. Uh, Henry, I'm going to need your help on this one. The population of man. Because that mercy was new to you and to me on that same day. So you take 328 million, just use that number here in the United States of America, start doing the math. Oh, you're saying, well, I need something to compare it to. Okay, compare it to the number of angels. Innumerable. I said innumerable. Now, you need to understand the mercy of God has been innumerable in your life. Innumerable. Because I'm not only dealing with the number of man and the number of days and the number of years and the number of people I'm now dealing with how many times you sinned that day and then the next morning you should have been dead and you shouldn't be here but yet he woke you up but yet he showed his faithfulness while you were faithless he remained faithful that's a generous God that is a generous God according to your loving kindness in accordance to something it's not just, just not just, it's not just mercy. It's not just like, like a, a trick-or-treat night and, and there's still candy left over. And, and yeah, you can have some of that. It's just, just left over. No, it's connected to something. It's connected to his loving kindness. And that word loving kindness is chest in the Hebrew, which rhymes with blessed. And that word chest in the Hebrew, the word means more simply kindness, giving oneself fully. With love and compassion. No, you need to understand how, how, how generous this is. To give oneself fully. Not just with kindness, but with love 
and compassion. Isn't compassion love? Not necessarily. It's an expansion of love. Because you know as well as I know there's a day that you just loved yourself and didn't love anybody else. That might have been yesterday. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you meet this guy named God. You meet this son named Jesus. And you experience his Holy Spirit. And you start loving people you used to hate. You want to talk about generous. This love is not bound. This love is unfailing. This love is a compassion that does not fail. He said, Jesus said about the Father, he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, you want to talk about generosity? With people that have abused, neglected, denied, he loves every atheist there ever was and everyone there still is. And it's our responsibility to let them know that God is extravagant in his love. God is extravagant in his mercy. God is not holding it against him. He starts every day as a new day. Here's your opportunity. Here's your moment. I just want to be your God. I created you for my pleasure. I created you for my glory. And even in you, I'm working to do my will and my good pleasure. I will not stop loving you what he said. I am love and I'm gloriously in love with you and I'm generous in my spirit of love. It's the God we serve. It's the God we get to call Father. Jesus was saying he loves the world just like he loves me. He loves the perfect and he loves the imperfect. And he loves the imperfect just like he loves the perfect one. He loves the one who didn't and he loves the one who did just the same way. That's what Jesus' word. He said God so loved the world. You know how he can say he so loved it? It almost sounds a little bit past tense. He said I was there. He said, and everything that was going on in eternity with just me and the Holy Spirit and the angels up here, everything's going on. He said, all of a sudden, he just turned this whole thing. I didn't even know he had it in him. He said, he just turned. Everything was going on in heaven. And he said, I love them just like I love you. Just like I love in heaven, I love on. Now, you need to understand, it's innumerable up there. It's expansive up there, and it's called eternity. That's generosity. That with eternal love, he loves you. Because if you're walking around wondering, does he love me? Does he love me not? Does he care about me? Does he care about me not? I'm here to tell you, he's a generous God. And yes, he does. You've heard me say it. So I'm going to say it again. He loves you just the way you are today. Much too much to let you stay that way. And once he's changed your heart from who you were before, he's not going to love you one bit more. He's generous. A generous spirit. His love is unfailing. It will not fail you. His compassions do not fail. What a generous spirit. You know, love is the first fruit of the spirit. Love is the first fruit. So I just want to simply say to you, from this generous spirit, God loves you. God loves you. And then I want to remind you that you can love your neighbor. Because this generous spirit upholds you. Upholds you. And will not fail you. Let's move to this. Blot out my transgressions, David said. Don't you think that David who had such an intimate, loving relationship with God in those early years, in those developmental years, in those years of victories and triumphs. Don't you think that at that time when he broke every barrier and he so engaged himself and implicated himself in such a tragic and such a, a terrible offense there, don't you think that he might have wrestled with the love of God? How, I mean, how could you love me? I've defied everything that you've done. Everything that you and I have been through I just broke it. So he says, please blot out my transgressions because they're miserable to me. God, they are. They're working against me. 
You know, it's amazing. We live in a church age that we think that our testimony, and not as much as we used to, but it was like the hurrah to hear somebody who had a terrible testimony, and they would spend an hour preaching on their testimony of what they used to do, and then tell you that God saved them. And it's like we celebrated the transgressions. They were in the mafia. They killed somebody. They did more drugs than you did. Uh, what if we found out we're living life upside down? Heads stuck in the sand and stuck in the barrel. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. You know, I got to sit with one of our granddaughters yesterday at lunch, and it was interesting where I was seated. I have some idiosyncrasies or some pet peeves, I guess, in my life. I like to sit on the end. I would take one of these seats or one of those seats. I would sit on the end, definitely. And so I came in a little bit later than everybody else, and Mama was sitting here, which is Gigi. Gigi Daddy is going to sit right here on the end, but the baby's here. I have another thing about my life, and God knew this. I don't enjoy sitting next to toddlers while they're eating. I never like floaties. I don't like wipies. I don't like to see things I don't like to see while I'm eating what I have to see. It just looks different on them. But she's still cute. Very well behaved. Her daddy's an elder in the church, so she better be behaved. But you know what? If you notice, it doesn't bother them to have it on them. It doesn't bother them. You don't wipe it off for their sake only. They don't know no better. You wipe it off for your sake. Come on. You don't want somebody to see your dirty baby. You don't want that dirty baby to finally feel like they want to kiss you. And you're like, not right now. God doesn't just do it for your sake. He does it for his sake. And listen, when I was, when I was working in my truck yesterday and something snapped and, and hit the side of the truck and came back and, and David said, um, You see, when, when you get those marks and you get those stains and you get those whatever's on you, that which owns you, that which loves you, and that which desires you, that which made you for their pleasure and for their glory, has this generosity to reach over and to wipe even with their own napkin. They ask for another one later, but they wipe with their own napkin to clean you off. I'm here to tell you. You're his baby. He knows you've made a mess or two. He knows you're enjoying doing what you're doing, and sometimes you can be doing what you're doing, and it's a good doing, but still you get a little messy. He said, blot out your transgressions for my own sake. He said, and, tag, I will not remember your sins. Now, you may say, you, you may say, how can a God that knows everything Forget something. That's not what he's saying. No, no, no. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I choose not to remember your sins. So please stop reminding me. Because you're really making life more difficult on me and for yourself by not just allowing me to say, I choose not to remember it, and you can choose not to do it anymore, and I've wiped it off of you, and I'll clean you from it, and you are not connected to it. If you're in Christ and you're under the napkin of the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the blood of God, I've washed you, and it ain't a part of you no more. You're free, and I've set you free indeed. It's not there. I don't care what you did yesterday. He already signed a new day, and he said, my mercies is set there right now, and I've wiped it off of you. Listen, you need to understand something. Yes, you need to come in agreement with it. That's what confession is, is coming in agreement. You're already forgiven. The cross has already done the work. All you need to do is come in agreement with it, acknowledge it, and you'll be free. 
you'll be free. You don't owe me nothing. You don't owe the rest of the church nothing. You don't owe the person you hurt nothing. You're free. That's a generous God. And listen, when he goes into the prison, he doesn't unlock one lock. He unlocks them all. He doesn't just do it for you and for me. He does it for they and them. You're free. Your confession comes in alignment. You acknowledge, you speak it, you declare it. I am the forgiven of God. You confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you. Psalm 32, 1. David said it this way prior to. He said, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Have you ever, I've done it. Have you ever saw a child that didn't need more of what they wanted? And you said, gone bye-bye. And gone bye-bye is in your hand. But you covered it. Or you slid it and you hid it. You need to understand. He said, it's covered. It's gone bye-bye. You don't get it no more because it ain't no good for you. I know you might still want it a little bit, but you're free. I'm keeping it from you. I'm so happy he put his hand on that cocaine. He put his hand on that alcohol. He put his hand on that extramarital. He put his hand on all that trash in my life. He said, it's going bye-bye, Greg. It's going bye-bye. That's the love of God. But David said, just blessed, blessed by his loving kindness. Because his kindness leads me to repentance. It's not you anymore, David. David knew the feeling of what it felt like to be happy in Jesus, to be free from his transgressions. It's not the first time he sinned, but he never sinned like this sin. He never thought it would unravel and unroll and come out so much. Let me tell you something about David. All due respect, what you don't get out of you now will come out of you later. All that stuff somewhere had been built up inside of him, but he stopped worshiping like he'd been worshiping. He stopped praising like he'd been praising. He stopped going out into the fields. He started going to the rooftops instead of to the fields to worship. You need to maintain that relationship with God. And if God is generous, we ought to be generous to him. Lord, you deserve this time. You deserve this time phone-free, people-free. You deserve this time with just me and me alone. All right, we'll get somewhere. Ephesians 4, 32. And be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So not only should you and I receive the forgiveness of a generous, loving-kindness spirit of God who blots out all of our transgressions, but we also ought to act that way. We ought to also perform that way. And listen to me. The generous God wants you and I to be generous in spirit. Man, somebody offended, just forgive them. I used to wrestle with those guys and said, you know, you know, it, it, the offense hurts the person more, and, and you travel your own self. And I used to, in the early stage, but I started finding, you know, that's true. When I feel I got to fight with them and hold my offense and represent my defense and just, instead of just forgive them, I'm going to cause more bruises, more cuts, more scratches, more hurt. I'm going to drive people away and not bring them closer. We all ought to believe in an unoffendable heart. To me, it sounds like God's spirit is so generous that he doesn't hold a fence. That every morning, although we don't deserve it, he gives us mercy. Prior to anything we'll ever do, he's already forgiven us. That sounds pretty unoffendable. Amen? Pretty unoffendable. You have been forgiven. You can receive forgiveness. You can forgive others as I have forgiven you. Can we stop for a moment? I don't want you to try to calculate all the times you ask for forgiveness. But I want you to, sure enough, involve all those times you ask for forgiveness, you couldn't remember what you're asking for. Because you knew you did stuff you couldn't remember. Immeasurable? Innumerable? Seven times 70? Sounds pretty generous, doesn't it? 
as I said, fruit of the Spirit is first love, and then it's joy. So there's such an immeasurable amount of his love, of his generous spirit. It tells us in Psalm 16, 11, that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Uh, listen to me. When, when, when I'm not walking in joy, I haven't been abiding in presence. If I have to go somewhere and do something to get joyful, I'm not choosing his presence. His presence has a sufficient amount of joy in it. Joy comes in the morning. I'm not talking about tomorrow morning. It's there too. But even in your morning, I've met people that are now 10, 15, 20 years into a lost loved one and still living in grief, living in intense grief, and saying that nobody can love them like that person loved them. Friends, that's not presence-oriented. His, his presence has fullness of joy. I'm not demeaning or belittling grief whatsoever. I've experienced loss. I understand that. I've walked with people in great grief. I am introducing a generous, generous God in his presence, in his spiritual atmosphere. There's fullness of joy. You can be happy again. You can be blessed again. You can be full of joy. It's there according to him. I'm not pushing buttons. I'm preaching God. It's an invitation. It's an exhortation. It says in his presence. There's full. Yeah, but that's only while I'm there. Oh, my. That might be next week and the week after. We need to learn to live. Like Moses said, I won't go if you're not going. Like Elijah said, I won't go if you're not going. If the presence isn't going, I'm not going. It's a generous spirit. So God has invited us to live and to host his presence on an everyday moment. He said, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? He said, I want to live in you. I want to fill you. And if you ever need another filling, I will fill you again and again and again. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. He said, not only that, I invite you to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit. Because there in the spirit, there's fullness of joy. Nehemiah said it this way. He said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You can be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and not crushed and not tumbled and not put down by other things in this world because in the generous spirit of God, he will give you supernatural, Holy Ghost, muscular development and strength that comes in his presence. Now... It kind of skirts a little bit. People are digging their heels in. But I like being sad. I feel guilty if I don't grieve over this. Friends, don't worship. Don't worship there. Don't put your time there. Take your time and put it in the presence of God. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. In his presence, there's strength. Matter of fact, Peter said, you can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now listen to me. That's a generous God. I, all I'm telling you is what God can do. I can feel resistance. I get it. Let it seep. Let it soak. Try it. You'll like it. You haven't been where I've been, and you haven't been where I've been. But we both need to go where we need to go is into his presence. It changes everything. In his presence, there's measures of grace. In his presence, in his presence. John 15. Pastor Joel, you can come join me if you would, please. In John chapter 15, we find out in verse 9 uh, through about 16 or so, we find out that love and joy can be perfected. 
Now, that word perfected literally means matured. You can grow in this. And and the generous spirit of God is saying to us, here, I want to give you some love. I want to give you some joy. I don't know if I have time to get into the peace aspect, but I want to give you mercy. I want to give you forgiveness. I want to give you the fullness. I want to give you not just life, but the abundant life. And I want you to abound more and more. I want to bring increase in your life. Friends, we serve and we believe in a God who is a generous God. He has more than enough. Verse 9 of John chapter 15, Jesus' very teachings, he says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Dwell in my presence. Dwell in the generosity of my spirit is what he's saying. He said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. You see what has happened is that David has been abiding in the presence of God. He's been abiding in the love of God. He's been loving God. He's been believing God. He realized that God's a God of covenant and he's experienced that. And all of a sudden he gets on the rooftop. He's in the king's palace and he takes himself down and degrades himself with Bathsheba. What is happening here, he's not abiding in the love of God. He's abiding in the lust of man. He's dividing in his weaknesses, not in the joy that the, spread, that the presence of God brought him so much joy. He can fight off a king who had gone insane. He could take down a giant. He could take down a lion and a bear. He could take down enemies and take over cities. He could carry the presence of God back. I'm telling you, there's strength. There's supernatural strength. The world won't be able to take you down. You'll be able to stand no matter what it brings up against you because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. If you keep my commandments, these things I've spoken to you. These are the very words of Jesus, the God who is so generous. He said, I love you so much. I'm going to give you all that I have. I'm going to release everything I have. All I have is this one son. I don't have even an Ishmael to give you. I have nothing but this son to give you. I have this word. I'm giving you my word. Listen to me, man. The reason people do not keep their word anymore because they don't love you anymore. Because they don't love God with all of their heart, all their son. They love their wallet. They love their vision. They love their dreams. They love their pleasures. They love themselves. That's what broke it down. But he's saying, all I have is my word. All I have, I'll show you how big my word is. I'll make him a son. You'll understand how important the son is. And that's why the devil is trying to destroy families. Because he's wanting us to lose the sight of what it is to love a son. What it is to love a daughter. What it is to understand the generosity that God would give you and I. Living beings from our loins and life abundantly. A life fulfilled. These things I've spoken, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy may be full. It may not be full right now, but Jesus said, when you hear my voice, when you hear my teaching, when you hear my preaching, it's there to strengthen you. It's there to make you joyful. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In other words, what he's saying, he's saying, church, please be generous. Be to them like I was to you. Consider what I did for you before you consider what you're going to do to them. Be merciful. Be kind. Be generous. Love them even when they're unlovable. Even when they're not going to respond to you. He showed me his love for years before I ever got saved. I spit in his face. I snarled at him. I spoke against him. I misled people. I hurt people, mistreated them. Yet he still loved me. His mercies in my life were new even when I didn't know what was new. He said, greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. He said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants where a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. I love the word friends. It has that word end in there. I'll be with you till the very end. He said, for all things I heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you go and bear fruit. What kind of fruit? What kind of fruit are we supposed to bear? Fruit of the Spirit. 
Listen to me. If God is as generous as he says he is, we ought to be more generous than we say we are. He's saying, be generous. Be generous in your love. Be generous in your spirit. Be generous in your kindness. Be generous in your your faithfulness. Be generous in your forgiving. Be generous. Don't hold back part of your forgiveness. I forgive you, but. Stiff arm. Stay away from me. I forgive you, but I I, want to tell you something. Don't ever do that again. Why? Because you have limited grace? Because you have limited forgiveness? Because you won't be there for them? Think about it. He said that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Mm. I think we take some things out of context. I really do. And I think that this is one of those areas where we might take things out of context. Because we're frustrated with a God that we ask him what things and he doesn't give them to us. But he's talking about fruit. It's in the context of fruit. It's in the context of the of the of the generous generosity of God. We ought to be asking for more of Jesus. We ought to be asking for more love. We ought to be asking for more joy. We ought to be asking for more peace. We ought to be asking for more long-suffering. We ought to be, we ought to be asking for the, the fruit of the Spirit. We ought to be asking for more Spirit. Now listen to me. We're told in, in John chapter 3, verse 34, is that God does not give His Spirit by measure. Translated, God gives his spirit without limit. That sounds pretty generous. That if we are 6,000 years into this thing, and God's still saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. 6,000 years into it, and he's still saying, I'm going to pour it out. You see, well, I need something. I need something to compare that to. Take a breath. Take a breath. No, you need to hear me. Take a breath. In the beginning, the earth was dark as void, as without form. And the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, the breath and wind of God hovered over it, never created it, just shared it. Every breath you and I take is the generosity of God. 